Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Exit Point. Today, Matt and I are speaking with Cedric Dumont. Cedric has been a pioneer in base jumping and wingsuiting and has been a Red Bull athlete since the year 2000. Cedric splits his time between leading expeditions, flying all kinds of aircrafts. He's a professional keynote speaker. He recently published a book titled Dare to Jump, and he's also a consultant for elite athletes and major companies all over the world. Without further ado, let's get Cedric on the track. Cedric, welcome to Exit Point. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lo. I was really happy to have you here. Yeah, likewise. Um, for the listeners, uh, could you give us a brief explanation of who you are and what you're about? Well, my name is Cedric. I'm from Belgium and uh, I've been base jumping for 25 years. I started in 95. I started skydiving in 93. And I, I think I mainly started skydiving because I wanted to base jump. And I started wingsuit flying in 99. And I did my first wingsuit base in 2001. So yeah, 20 years ago. Wow. That's about it. Can you characterize how old that really makes you in base jumping terms? Because most people, <laughs> I think the average career is about two years. So like, how old are you as a 25 year base jumper? Well, I started when I was uh, 23. So you can calculate. Well, no, I'm, I'm asking like, you know, in dog years, basically, what does that make you like, you know, I, I, I characterize myself after being 10 years in the sport as like a base jumping 60 year old, you know, like oh, 20 okay. years. Then I'm, you then I'm a like, base jumping uh, dinosaur. Okay. Dinosaur <laughs> level. Well, not really because I was, uh, it's funny because a uh, little story, but I was a month ago, I was in France in Mio and there wasn't, there was a, older guy than me who started base jumping a Swedish guy in 84 he was filming Carl Beanish so I'm I'm always most of the time the oldest guy on the packing mat uh, but he was he was way older I think he was like 15 year older and it's funny because he quit base jumping while he was raising his kids and now he told me all my kids are gone from home there they have their own life and he started back a few years ago what an amazing story is that and look and i'm not trying to characterize you as aged because obviously all of us are quite young and we're still base jumping so we're incredibly fit what i am trying to present though is that the accomplishment that you have from being in a sport this long is incredible and uh, when people look at, you know, somebody in the sport for 10 years, they think, oh, like, that's not very long because, you know, people play tennis for 30 years. And how remarkable it is to actually get to a level of base jumping for two decades is kind of unfathomable to me at this point, having been in the sport only 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. I think in other sports, there's a, a question of physical resilience. Uh, and I think that definitely plays into our career length as well. But I think there's also a mental resilience that uh, is, is notable as well, because we have some serious highs and some serious lows. And uh, being able to navigate those extremes for a long term um, speaks 
to your mental game, which uh, we hope to cover uh, in depth this evening. Yeah, I think base jumping is way more mental than physical. Uh, if if you look at the career of a, a, a tennis player or a, a football player, there, it's, it's 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 physically very demanding, mentally as well. But at one point, when you get 35, 40, physically you're not as explosive as a 25 year old. Uh, what do you what do you think as far as athletics, right? Like sports, I would categorize base jumping as um, an accuracy sport. Uh, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of endurance, you know, I mean, of course, um, on approaches for like mountain jumps and, and big hikes, there's a level of, uh, physicality there that's needed some endurance and whatnot. Um, as someone who comes from a, a golfing background, would you, would you put it, I mean, it would be like, you know, golfing with sharks, a shark tank around you, you know, with laser beams on their head, like is do you see base jumping as a like a a sport that requires precision a whole lot of athletics. precision? Yeah. yeah. I see I look at base jumping as an outdoor activity. Like uh surfing, climbing, mountaineering. I think these are all sports where you don't have to uh if you're a professional tennis player or a golf player, basically you train every day. If you in tennis, like with the level in tennis right now, if you quit playing for a month, you're out. That's 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 science. If you quit base jumping for four months, you're not out of the game. So it's a whole different approach of it's. I think it's a mix of a mental game. It's a mind game. It's also, of course, you have to be fit. But it's also a, um, I would say, yeah, action outdoor sport. That's an interesting uh, point to make about taking time off. And maybe we can use this to transition into your athletics uh, as a sponsored Red Bull athlete. Because uh, a, a lot of people are, are chasing your career by literally dying to stay relevant. You know, try chasing the numbers, trying to be as extreme as possible. What would you say to those jumpers who are not taking any time off, even when they're injured, so that they can catch up with you? Well, I've, I've always lived but with a very clear principle is that my life and my health, whether it's a physical health or mental health, has always been way more important than any type of sponsorship or media appearance or anything like that. So... It, I think it, it enabled me to make the right, so far, the right choices. And, and, and I, that's what I tell people, stay below. If you want to survive in this type of environment, you have to stay below your skills. That, that, that's also one of my, I, I, I've always been base jumping with some rules. And that's also, that has always been one of my rule. It's stay below your skills. So if uh, operating at 100% is doing something that like is at the edge of your uh, skill set, then what percentage do you usually operate at? I would say 80%, 70. I've always been a very conservative jumper. I've never had any peer pressure. 
I've been many times on exit point where people will jump. If I start hesitating on something, I'm not going to jump. I have no issue with that. I don't have to prove myself to anyone. And I've heard Matt Gerdes say this uh, time and again, that base jumping is a war of attrition. Uh, would you agree with that statement? You know, if you want to be the best base jumper in the world, is all you have to do survive for as long as you have? Well, yeah, but I've, I've never wanted to be the best base jumper in the world. <laughs> That's <laughs> one first, first thing, very important. My goal has never been... And I've never been, and I will never be the best base jumper in the world. I don't care. Uh, my goal has always been to push my own limits, to discover myself, to grow, to and and use base jumping as a a mean to to travel, to do interesting stuff, to yeah, to push my limits in a way. And I could have done that in in music and in, in other other sports. Well, it 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 happened in in base jumping, and it's a dangerous activity. Okay, fine, but I've I've never when I started base jumping, I've I never thought I would make make a career. Never ever. That was not my plan, and of course I never wanted and still today i don't want to be the best in the world that doesn't mean anything especially in a, in, in a sport like that <laughs> that's very interesting to hear somebody that has uh, created what i would regard as a very successful career in base jumping say that they never set out to create a career and now the generation that came after you my generation uh, looks at that and says like, wow, there's careers out there in, in base jumping. And they go and chase those careers. Uh, what would you say to somebody who's from my generation who got into the sport to be a professional base jumper? I would all, I've, I've had this question before from younger guys and I always tell them, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough question because uh, on one hand, I, I pursued my dream and it it, it 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 happened. But I would never push someone to do the same because you need a lot of different factors and 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 I personally I've always I've always had companies on the side and I've I've always been doing other things because I never wanted and still today I don't want to depend out of a one or two or three sponsors and and i'm it's very relative but i i think i have some ambition as well so it depends how you want to live where are what are your life goals so it there, there are many factors so i think it's a very personal choice so it sounds like you're saying you know if the goal of the next generation is uh, to passionately pursue base jumping, then yes, go for it. And perhaps if you're lucky, sponsorship will follow. But if your goal is to pursue sponsorship and make a, a make money base jumping, then ooh, maybe rethink that. Is that how well, uh, you characterize? Course. Yeah, but I will. I would. I would tell this to any type of young athlete. Uh, if I meet a young guy who wants to be a professional golf player and, and it's a discussion we, we don't even have, you start with passion and then the rest follows. But you, I've never heard anyone, I don't think even Messi started football thinking one day I'm going to make a lot of money. 
Never. It, it doesn't work like that. I don't think any world-class athlete, I don't think Tiger Woods started golf because I'm going to make a lot of money, I'm going to be a lot in the media and people, and I'm going to be famous. No. When you're 10, and of course, you don't start base jumping at 10, <laughs> but you start out of passion. And if it happens, fine. If it doesn't, do something else. But yeah. In your book, uh, Dare to Jump, you call yourself an adventurepreneur. And speaking of diversification, I mean, that's a very diverse title. Um, could you walk us through what that means to you and uh, what that means as far as being an entrepreneur and an athlete and how do you combine those two? Well, I never considered, yeah, I never considered myself to be a 100% athlete. I, I, today, even I don't consider myself to be a professional athlete. I see myself more as a mix between somebody who is an entrepreneur who, who is in, into the business thing and also someone who has an adventurous life and who is traveling and, and, and pushing himself in a certain discipline. And for me, it's the, the whole idea is combining everything, putting everything together and in a way playing. For me, it's a playground. I don't see this as a job whether it's base jumping or running a company or investing in a company, I play. I've always been playing. <laughs> so which one of those came first? Uh, Cedric, the extreme sports athlete or Cedric, the entrepreneur? No. Well, I think the entrepreneur. I was raised in a, in a very yeah, business-minded family. And uh, I studied law. And I knew that after university, I was gonna, uh, I was not gonna look for a job. I was gonna create my job, and I immediately started with a small project. I was selling uh, ads for a magazine. I was, I've been doing a lot of stuff, and I ended up starting my own company uh, in the events, organizing events. And for me, it's it was like. But it was not starting, a, it, for me, it was not, um, how, how should I explain this? For me, it was a way, it was not an end goal. It was just a mean to pursue my passion and travel and do interesting stuff. That's really interesting. So I've, I've also, yeah, I've, I've never been a super ambitious entrepreneur who is willing to, 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 to invest in all his life in building the biggest company or never interested. I'm not, I'm not that ambitious. I, I don't think I'm a, a I, I'm not very materialistic either. And when you're an entrepreneur, I think you need a bit of, of this materialism and, and ambition and greed, which I don't have, but I still ha had it enough to manage to mix everything. What I'm hearing is your passion was big enough that it drove you to be an entrepreneur in order to finance it. That, yeah, that sounds way, about right. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, you know, going back to your book, there was a, a touching story about the your first car. Yeah. Uh, your your dad uh, brought brought up the idea to finance your vehicle by getting companies to put their logo on it. Is that right? 
Well, yeah, instead of, of buying me a car, you know, you, you, you've heard this before, don't give a fish, but learn to someone to fish. It's the same thing. My, my dad told me, well, you're going you're gonna to pay it, but you're going to do it in a creative way. And it's, you're going to pay your car this way. So I found a lot of advertisers put their stickers on and, and I had a, a whole advertised uh, car. And it's something that I, I don't think it, it would work today, but back then it worked. And, 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 that's, and, and when I, I realized that I could do this, then I realized, well, I could do much more. And that's the way you're creating self-confidence and, and, and realizing, oh, I can do this. So maybe I can go a little bit further, a little bit further. And, and yeah. It's interesting to hear uh, that most of the people that have made a career in base jumping started with entrepreneurship and started with a, a higher level education. And certainly I think that's not the case uh, these days, at least for the messaging. Like the messaging is come to the drop zone, you know, be a uh, tandem master, make a career in skydiving, make a career in base jumping, just like throw the middle fingers to the world. And so what would you say to that? Like how important is it uh, to develop a career and develop an education before one gets into base jumping, which can really like, I mean, we can agree it sucks you in. I, th I think it's a very personal choice. Um, I, I don't think I was made for a corporate career. Uh, so I, I found a middle way, which, but, and, and, it's very personal. Some people will be super happy being tandem masters on the drop zone. And some people will be very happy uh, climbing the corporate ladder. So it's, it's a personal choice. And, and the more I think you know yourself and what you can do and what you want, and especially what you don't want in life, the better choices you can make on that level. I guess where I'm, what I'm getting at is that uh, the advice seems to be skewed these days, whereas you and like, let's say Matthias, who we interviewed earlier, all had higher level education and were raised in families that understood business. And they had a, a fallback in case, you know, base jumping didn't work out. Um, that's not really the case with the next generation where the messaging is pursue your passion all in, lean in as soon as you can, you know, like don't even worry about uh, backstopping or hedging your life in any way because like that's going to take you further from this passionate goal. So what do you what do you make of that? Is that also a, an acceptable way of of getting into the sport? Is that managing risk in your mind or is there a better way to do this even if it like kind of sidetracks you for a little bit? Well, for me, it, it wouldn't have worked, but it, maybe it works for some people. And uh, it depends on your skills, your ambitions, your, your life goals. I think it's a very personal thing. I don't think I have any advice to give, which is, is my way the right way or is going, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's tough to give advice just be where you are meant to be and pursue your dreams. And, and you know, there's a, a, a Japanese, um, uh, they call it the Ikigai. It's in my book as well. 
You've heard this, yes. Those concentric circles, right? That uh, yes, for, exactly. For happiness and, and, and fulfillment. I hear a lot of young people, whether they're they have high degrees or not, or whatever uh, ambitions or not, but. I hear a lot of young people telling me, I really don't know what to do in my life. Uh, and honestly, when I was 20, I, and maybe even today, I still sometimes don't know what I'm going to do with my life, even if it's happening. Okay. So <laughs> it's not always a question of, of age, but this Ikigai, it says, do well, find something you're good at. Find something that where you have an impact on the world, on other people, and find something that meets a, a certain financial reality. And find something you like. If you have these four conditions, you're fine. And you will have some people who are happy to live in a trailer at a drop zone. I've met many of them and they're super happy. And I see people living in huge houses and being CEOs and they're super unhappy. So for me, this question is, again, it's, it's very personal. I guess uh, I, I hear you. And to put a, a broader point on it, um, I'm really trying to uh, understand what the road to professional athletics is because you have probably the most experience of anyone that I know in professional base jumping. And so <laughs> here's the more pointed question. Do you know anyone at your level of professional sports that got there through being a ragtag high school dropout? I'm not going to say any names. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, if that's a road that's, that's there, then I, you know, okay, I'll, I'll accept. Uh, but of all the people that we've talked to so far, um, everyone that's made it in professional athletics has also had experience in professional world. So if that is something that like yes, is it, acceptable and yeah. doable, then sweet right. man, like I don't, I need to know their names, just that that road is possible, right? That's kind of my question. Like, what is the what is the top of the game look like? What is the well, view from your like from your perch? For me, it's, I think, being a professional athlete, especially, you know, if you're a professional golfer, it's golf is based on results and numbers. So if you have the best numbers, your skills beside the sport are not super important. You're just the best player. That's it. But in a sport where you don't have... Like really numbers and like something you can really touch, where you can you have to be like I said before, be creative. Then you need some skills that are going beyond just your discipline. It's not enough to throw yourself from a bridge with five gainers. You know, uh, it's not enough to to fly from a mountain and 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 fly the whole line at, at super close to the ground. It's great, fantastic, technically amazing, big balls, huge, but there's m way more than that. You have to be able to, like I said before, organize a project, sell a project, communicate about your sport, being able to connect with people outside of the sport, 
So there, there's much more coming than just being technically good at what you do. That's, is that answering your question? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, okay. we, we uh, did talk about this off recording. So, um, you know, maybe we could circle back and talk a little bit about the creativity that's behind being a professional base jumper, because I think that this message is very, very uh, poignant and, and, uh, and valuable is, uh, that, you know, you did say that you operated about an 80%, but that it wasn't actually the performance of the jump itself, but the story that you create. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more from your experience about what it meant to be a creative and the kind of projects that you brought to the table and all the skills that were required for you to be successful in that domain? Well, I'm, I'm going to take a, a, a clear example of an expedition in Peru a few years back, um, jumping from, uh, I think, the second highest waterfall. It's, yeah, it was a technical jump, but I like nothing, I mean, nothing like super technical. But, but what comes around is, was way more technical than the jump. Uh, you have to be able to lead a team. I, uh, it was a team of 50 people. We had guides, we had doctors, we had lo- a very consequent team. You have to be able to um, to produce footage and then you have to be able to sell in a way and communicate on your content. That's basically what we do on social media. It's very good to be good at something, but if you can't communicate it, well, it it, it has no value in a way. Uh, so it sounds like you're saying that uh, rather than what we're doing, uh, what's important is what we're saying with what we're doing. Yeah, um, and how you you're delivering the message, and 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 how you what kind of image you want to show of of the sport. Yes, so I think the, let's the let's way, get into that, please, because like yeah. I think the image of the sport has been skewed drastically by a few people that have had a very loud microphone. So, like, no can we get into that? What would you like the image of base jumping to say? What would uh, you like people to take away from uh, your addition uh, of this media into the sport? Well, to, to, to give a, a clear example, when I'm giving a keynote, when I'm speaking, um, I'm always starting with some base jumping footage. And then the first reaction of the people is, oh, they are crazy. And when I finish my keynote, the reaction of the people is that you are everything but not crazy. You are very grounded, very focused, very well prepared. You are, and so what I want to show to people, and I think in in all kinds of high risk disciplines or activities, and I think it's changing for the, the good, but correct me if I'm wrong, is that today you have some people in big wave surfing, in mountaineering, who are showing that, okay, we take a lot of risks, but we are very well trained. We we minimize the risk. We take the we try to make the right decisions at the right time. We surround ourselves with the right people. We leave our ego at home. And in the end, we are very 
I would say, yeah, in a way, professionals who are dealing with risk. And, and there are many examples. I think Laurent is, a, like I said, it's, it's a great example. He's a family man. He's got a job. He's a smart guy. He's still base jumping in the weekend, Laurent, or even sometimes in the week. <laughs> and he does it in a very, yeah, I mean, that's for me a great example. He's very smart. He, he, the approach is very, very calculated. Yes, it's risky, but is it more risky than driving a motorbike at 150 miles per hour? No. <laughs> That's a, an interesting uh, aspect there. Um, I can only speak from my own experience, and I found base jumping through uh, films like uh, the one that Chris McNamara did. So I got to hear him speak about what his experience was like as a base jumper. And uh, I don't think that that is the common way that people see it. You know, a lot of my generation and the generation after uh, got served the messaging that like, this is wild and this is crazy. And, you know, get out there and grip it and rip it. Uh, what would you say to that generation? Like, let's say that you're sitting in front of, um, you know, a group of middle school, high school kids who have been fed all of that, uh, who are trying to now chase the dragon and um, be adrenaline junkies in a sport where you have made a career out of being measured and very uh, calm. Well, since I started base jumping and skydiving, my main mission was to show people that it can be done in a very calm, very smart, very calculated, educated, I would say, way. And not it's not a crazy people don't don't have a very long career i think and and you can have you can be lucky for a while but someone said you have a a, a jar of luck i'm not gonna name any name <laughs> but anyway uh you you and you can there are two ways to communicate the sport whether you you sensationalize it you dramatize it because you want to in, in a way, I, I've always found that people who are really dramatizing the sport, they want to keep the sport for themselves and tell people, hey, you have to be very special to do that. That's bullshit. No, you, you don't have to. I, that's what I'm telling people. I don't have supernatural powers. I just like to push myself. And this is my way of pushing my limits. But I'm... I, I've always considered myself to be a very normal person. I feel fear, like this is something I'm telling all the time. Um, I'm, I, I can be anxious, I can have negative emotions, I can have, like everyone, I'm a very, but I'm, I have the courage to confront my fears and because I'm, yeah, because I'm, I wanna see where I can go. If you dramatize the sport and you make it like uh, it's for it's only for crazy people, then you want to feel really special. I that's that's very immature and 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 I would say very old school. <laughs> uh, you know, like uh, talking to you now after reading your book and some of our previous conversations, it seems that you're on a path of self-realization, and that base jumping is uh, not just a vehicle, but it is, um, it, it is uh, the medium in which you are fulfilling that self-actualization, but it 
doesn't necessarily the source. Like you could be golfing, you could be fishing, you could be doing archery. Um, do you think that it's the base jumping itself or your approach that has, uh, you know, maybe fed your personality? I think it's more my approach and it's also the title of my book, which can be misleading, Dare to Jump. It's basically there to be yourself, there to follow your path. Um, we live with a lot of social rules, a lot of pressure, external pressure. You have to make a career, you have to make a lot of money and and so on, or you have to follow some rules. I, I think it's it's a bit bullshit. So what I'm tr my main message is go where you are meant to go and follow your in a very realistic way, like I said before, you have to stay in a, for most of us in a financial reality, but there to follow your path, there to speak up, there to be yourself. Uh, and it sounds very simple, but even in 21, almost 22, it's not easy for everyone. I, I don't think it's easy, even later stages of life. And, um, you know, going back to the book, you there's a page that says and it's in big red letters. It says everything starts with self-awareness. And I think that through the discussions we've had on exit point already is that self-awareness is a big survival tool because knowing yourself will allow you to say no. It'll allow you to say yes. And it'll allow you to navigate in a way where, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, being the best base jumper, right? But the best base jumper, like Chris Barnes said, is the one who gets the most or what he wants out of it. And without self-awareness, how are you going to get what, what you want? You won't know. Um, tell us a little bit about this self-awareness and like, you know, how can, how can we be more self-aware? Well, everything starts with self-awareness. It's, it's, it's knowing yourself, being able to lead yourself, uh, being, I think, bold enough to ask yourself the right questions. What do I want from life? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And, and being very honest with yourself. And, and I think also looking for your deepest motivation. Am I doing this for myself or am I looking for recognition? Do I have to prove myself? These are many, many questions. I, I think the more self-awareness you have, the better choices you will make. And in our sport, making the right choices is a question of survival. In life, it's, it's about having results. But in a, in a high-risk activity, if you can make the right decisions at the right time, you survive. Has your motivation for base jumping changed over the years or stayed relatively the same? Well, that's a, a question I've, I'm asking myself on a very, very regular basis. Uh, do I still do it because it makes me happy? You don't, you don't have to look much further than that. Um, do I still do it because it defines me? And if I quit, I'm not going to be the person I think I am. Um, do I continue because I have a sponsor and you want to so there are many, many, I think we all, especially as men, but women as well, but we all have a, a need to prove ourselves. 
I see this with business people. I mean, any type of environment, uh, musicians and and even musicians and bands who, who've been around for 40, 30 years, they still want to be there. They still want to make good music. They, they st- it's their passion. It's, 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 it's who you are. So for me, it's, yeah, it's a question. And, and, and I've had seasons where my motivation was lo- very low and I've had season where it was higher and, we all know we lose friends and then you're really asking yourself, why am I doing this? Is it really, do I need to do this? When my son was born, it was very difficult to, yeah, to, to justify myself and say, do I need to take these risks? And I have a family, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. So how do you justify the risk? Because I think that's a, another one that's pretty common in our culture is having to explain this to our families and having to, uh, you know, say, here are the benefits versus here are the risks. What's your, uh, what does your scale look like there? How do you justify? Well, first of all, I don't like to justify. <laughs> uh, and after 25 years, I still feel like I have to justify all the time uh, even my mother was asking me are, are you still gonna do this and why do you have to do this and and but okay fine I it's I understand I'm a father and <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would love to see my son jumping off cliffs so I really understand no the uh, but uh, there are many ways to justify or to explain I think the first thing first we all have a f- there's a, a, a finale here. There's a, we all have an, a, a limited time on earth. So when people tell me, and it, it sounds very cliche, but when people tell me, you know, you can die. Yeah, but we all going to die. Um, and I don't like to play on the, we're going to die. And it, you know, and, and I don't like to, to talk about, but it's, it's a fact. Um, even if I quit, it's not a guarantee. I'm going to live healthy till 95. Um, I've, I've, I've had friends dying in, in car accidents. I've had friends dying of a heart attack. Uh, I'm not even talking about cardiovascular diseases, diabetes and, and name it. So you can basically, the, there's a, and that's one of the, I think one of the main thing we learn doing a high risk activity. I'm not going to say base jumping, but taking risks. There's a very thin line between life and death. But every day, all the time, not only in base jumping. Uh, and, and I think you, I'm, I'm just going to continue on this. You, it sounds very cliche, but I think you, you really appreciate more life when you, you go really, you push yourself and you know that, okay, it's very risky. And, and, and yeah, you, it, I, I've, I've learned a lot from that. You, yeah, I mean, uh, the statement that Carl Willenda makes is life is on the line and the rest is just waiting. And so yeah. what you're describing is base jumping gives you this greater appreciation for life. So yes, it's yeah. dangerous in that moment. But other than that, everything else is more vibrant. Um, but I'll ask you uh, maybe a clarifying question because you've touched on both fear and death. And this is something that we ask everyone on the podcast. 
you know, while you're getting these benefits out of base jumping, are you also afraid to die base jumping? Well, I think we are all, I think, yeah, of course, we're all afraid to die, but this is something you have to accept. If you enter this type of activity and you, you, you do it, you have to accept the consequences. Uh, but when I take my car, when I drive, I accept that I can have a car accident. I can die. Yeah, you, yeah, you, but you don't have to think about that all the time. But you accept it. You accept the risk. Yeah. I would say you embrace the risk. Has um, accepting your mortality, you know, through this and otherwise um, put some things into perspective? Well, you put, when you think about your mortality and when you, I think it's Steve Jobs had a a great quote, uh, staying in in touch with your own mortality is the best way not to fall in the trap to think that you have something to lose. And I think everything is said. Uh, this is not a rehearsal here. This is for real. And there's maybe when I, I tell this to people and it's, 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 it's harsh, but maybe you have 10 summers left on earth. So when you think about this, you put everything in perspective and what seems to be a, a stressful situation or some it it puts it put everything in perspective and also i think it it forces you to make better choices um we all have heard of someone an acquaintance or a friend who had a, a very an illness or can let's say cancer and they survived and they tell you well after that i completely changed my life uh i'm I'm way more selective with the time and energy I invest in things and people. I make better choices. I do more things that I'm, that makes me happy and I change my career. Don't wait to get ill to do that. This is this should be a rule. <laughs> do you have any stories from your base jumping career that are these, you know, road to Damascus moments where you change your perspective? Uh, do you maybe have any stories about uh, an incredibly terrifying jump uh, or one that uh, on the other side of it was so amazing that it also changed your uh, perspective or life view? I think I'm a very boring base jumper because I don't have like like a, a highlight or a, a, a drama moment. Uh, for me, it's more a, a whole process of what I've been doing for the last 25 years that makes me who I am. But there's no one moment where I change everything or when I, I went in another direction or no. No, that's... Let me put that in another context. You talk a lot about resilience and nothing tests the career of a base jumper their resilience more than a close call or, um, you know, whether it be their own or a friend's or watching friends die. Have you had any key moments where your resilience was tested? Oh yeah. Many times because I mean, if you stay enough or for a long time in the sport, you're going to lose friends. 
And every time it's a, you put everything back in perspective, you're asking yourself a lot of questions. And, and uh, yeah, I, I started base jumping with a friend and he died three years later. Uh, mistake, but still it happened. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to name or, or, but yes, for sure. And every time you're, but I think we all live in denial. All of us. We, it's, it's, it's very human to live in denial. When you drive on the highway and you see a, a very bad car crash with a body bag, you're going to be, you're going to slow down for like 20, 30 minutes. And you're going to think about, oh, I have to be super careful on the highway. But the day after you're back in your habits, because unconsciously, you, it, it only happens to others because you think I'm not going to make the mistake he made or she made. I don't know if you have this, but we, we, I think we, we live in, in yeah, denial. So we talked about a lot of mistakes in previous podcasts and uh, being somebody that has been in the sport as long as you, uh, without any terrifying moments, maybe you can share with us a story when you truly did listen to your emotions and uh, avoided mistakes before they happened. Do you have any uh, stories like that? I have many stories. I mean, how many times did I uh, walk back on standing on a building in a big city and it was windy and I, the conditions weren't right? I knew it was a, the wrong decisions. And then you have friends or <laughs> colleagues telling you, well, it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's going to be okay. I've heard this a lot of times. And maybe it's going to be okay. And they jump and they land and say, oh, yeah, well, you see, it was okay. Yeah. But if you push it all the time like this, there's going to be one moment where it's not going to be okay. I've got a, um, a story that um, we were Red Bull Aces. I think it was the first one. And you were there uh, observing very cautiously. And I think I could be wrong here, but I, someone had a collision. I think it was Katie Hansen. And, um, that means that it wouldn't have been the first one. Somebody had a collision. There was a collision every year, super fucking scary. And, uh, let's not, let's not paint any like false picture here. Red Bull Aces is dangerous as fuck. And I remember you came up to me and you were like, yeah, you were very cautious, very measured. And, um, you know, if Red Bull Aces was a jump, you, you walk down and, um, I, I respected you a lot for that. I think I was caught up personally in the, in the excitement and I was sort of uh, one of the sheeple there. And, um, you know, I think that if Red Bull Aces was going on every year, you know, it wouldn't just be, you know, if, but when. And, uh, yeah. so I just wanted to share that story of a moment that you uh, were calculated and, um, you know, you maybe use some of your own self-awareness about what you were going to get out of it and, uh, and walk down. And, uh, so props to that, man. Yeah, it's, 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 for me, it's, there's one rule. I mean, there, I have many rules, but one of them is leave, leave your ego at home. Uh, humility is going to save you. And that's maybe the main message I would give to the new generation. Uh, I see a lot of young guys, super talented, um, they do amazing things, which I 
probably will never do. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, they're really pushing the sports. And when you have this, or if you even enter this discussion, you know that that that's really limit. Yeah, but it worked. Okay, fine. Yeah, if you think like that, fine. But do your stuff. I'm not gonna judge you. It's it's a like I said, it's a personal choice. I think 10, 15 years ago when I was standing on an exit point and I was looking at someone who was maybe going to make a mistake, I was more eager to tell him, hey, look, this is maybe not the right moment or the right way. And at one point, you see so many stupid decisions that you, you, you just walk away and you don't say anything. Yeah, you know, um, I want to back up there and just paint this picture totally accurately here because, you know, we're sort of risking sounding like a bunch of old guys uh, telling, you know, wagging our fingers at younger guys who want to be awesome. That's not at all what we're saying, right? And I know that's not what you're saying. And, you know, we all came to the that Red Bull Aces with a different level of training experience and um, level of uh, currency. Um I think that what we're saying here, all three of us too, is that um, don't just rush into it, but be aware of what it is that one, you know, like you were saying earlier, is it going to make you happy? Is it going to be helpful for others? You know, where is this going to fit in your life? Uh, instead of just saying, well, he's doing it. I want to be like him. Let's go for it. Having that self-awareness, you know, and knowing when it's time to get fucking radical that you have all of your ducks in a row and it's not just a roll of the dice. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah, that's very well resumed, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So going to the point on ego, um, what uh, tips, tricks, questions uh, do you have in order to check your personal ego? And maybe um, what tips and tricks do you have to approach somebody that you see is about to execute a jump with too much ego? Well, you need a bit of like healthy ego to push yourself, but it's there's a very thin line between self-confidence and ego. I call this the red zone. And if you go into the red zone, you make the wrong, you take, you make the wrong decisions. And, and so for me, it's, it's like I said before, stay below your skills. Um, a friend of mine is a, he's an instructor on F-16 in the Belgian Air Force. And we had this discussion and when he has a, a, new, a new pilot ready to fly on these F-16s, which are dangerous machines, the first thing he tells the, the student is when the day you think you know everything and you're a great pilot is the day that it's becoming very dangerous. Um, so for me, even now, I, I'm, I've always been in what I call a student mindset. I'm, I'm very open for advices, even from less experienced jumpers. I was in France one month ago and there was a guy who was 25 years younger than me, but he gave me a, Hey, look, you can do it. How would you do that? But the guy's got a lot of jump, a lot of experience, but super young. Uh, very ambitious, but very, very well. I, I mean, I we had a good connection. And he said, you know, you could do this this way. And I could tell him, hey, dude, I've been doing this for 25 years. Hey, 
come on, chillax, I know what I'm doing. No, I said, yeah, why not? I can try that. That's a good idea. I like it. So for me, it's, it's, it's questioning yourself and staying open for advice, not from anyone, of course. You, you need some trust and respect. And, but I like, I, I'm always asking questions. I've always been, and people look at me, hey, you have, you have two, I mean, you have thousands of jumps. You know that. Yeah, I know, but I like a confirmation. I like to know how you look at this. I like to, from all of people. And even if I know deep in myself, I like to hear another side of the story. I like to hear maybe a different technique which could improve and make me safer. And, and so stay open. Yeah. I like that open-mindedness. Yeah, I like that too. Um, I, I want to ask you something because I feel like there's a little bit of conflict between the two messages. We're talking a lot about pushing ourselves in, uh, you know, in our sport, base jumping. And then we're talking about operating at, you know, 80, 70%. So where does the pushing yourself come into? Um, I know for me that there are a couple of different avenues where I'm pushing myself. The fitness side of things, like I like to time my, my hikes. So like I'm really charging hard to the exit point. <laughs> I've been in a little bit of a slump here. You know, I just had some kids and everything like that. So like my times aren't quite as good, but that's a really fun part for me to see some progress and, and, and progression on the mountaineering side of things you know, getting to some, uh, some high Alpine peaks, awesome sense of satisfaction. And then, um, also, uh, in my acrobatics, you know, like, uh, spending time in the tunnel, uh, doing some skydiving and having that, you know, personal comfort in the air and, uh, to, to express myself in the air. Um, where do you see, um, this conflict between operating at 80% for survival and then pushing your limits where what does that look like for you well it's it the, the thing is you don't have to if you push yourself every time you jump you're gonna cross the line so for me it's 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 again when you when ev everything is fine and you feel really good okay go a little bit higher but i would say average on the whole season I think staying below your below your skills will will be uh, good for I think survival. And you were talking about pushing yourself on the hike up. Great, but you're not gonna die from it. I don't think so. Uh, uh, going maybe on in higher peaks if you're with the right people and you're well trained and you live in the mountains, it's your environment. Yeah, go for it. Uh, if I'm in Belgium and I would say, Hey, Laurent, I want to, I'm coming next month and I want to go do the highest peak without any training, without preparation. And that's would be stupid. Then I would be ab above my skills. So it's always below your skills with the right training and preparation and, and skills and focus and, and, and self-awareness. So that, that 80% is more of a curve then, right? Because if you're doing this slow burn of a season training, jumping, and that 80%, your performance will, will increase. So 
Yeah, it's it's a learning curve, but I I mean base jumping is on itself a dangerous activity. So if you if you go above your skills in a dangerous activity, you're gonna pay the price. And we've seen that before, and we see this almost every year. At one point, you you think you're invincible, you're god. It's it's we call this the dark side of high performance of the the dark side of the flow. It's it's basically becoming very unconscious of the the reality. And it's very easy. I mean, it's a again a neurochemical reaction. You you almost become a kind of a beast. It's a very it's very instinctive, but you you are like you're yeah, it's it it has a very dark side. So for me, if if I knew from the beginning if I wanted to enjoy the sport and I would always stay below my skills, but of course you, there is a learning curve. So you you're improving your skills all the time, but don't go above. You see what I mean? That's a really uh, hard thing to do, I think, for a lot of people because they get into it uh, for the flow experience. And in order for the flow experience to take hold, you have to be doing something that is close to the limit of your skill level so that your mind shuts everything off. Like I, I hear that quite often, you know, where I ask like, hey, like, why do you why do you like jumping? And they're like, because everything shuts off. And I'm just so laser focused on this one thing that I get this moment of peace, you know, well, where is the line for you in chasing flow and survival? I don't, I don't necessarily agree, uh, that like chasing flow is, is deeply connected with taking risks. Uh, what is flow? It's the, 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 the right balance between anxiety and boredom. (laughs) Uh, if you are too anxious, you don't have, I mean, the challenge is bigger than the skills. It's then, then you are above your skills. That's what I'm saying. If it's boring, you're way below your skills. You're at 50%. So you want to be like in between. Well, that's exactly what I'm trying to say here. And, and yeah, I mean, again, it's it's a personal thing. Some people will jump off a bridge and do five gainers, and yeah, that's that's my flow state. And I'm gonna do. A, I was like in France a month ago, and I I jumped from Mio suspended bridge, and I was basically already super happy to share this with friends. Be there was good weather. Uh, maybe when you get a little bit older and more experienced, you're like enjoying more the, the whole surrounding uh, and, and appreciating everything. But I had a, a super nice experience without having to, to perform five gainers from, from the bridge. I'm okay. I'm fine. Okay, so maybe we can have a quick discussion, you and I, and you can give me some uh, advice for my younger self. Because, man, when I first got into wingsuit base jumping and I started flying through trees, that was it. I mean, I was going through as many tree gates as possible, as low as possible, as long as possible. Because fucking A, like that flow experience was like nothing I had ever, like ever experienced. 
Um, in fact, like, I mean, I can put a point on this, like the first terrain flight that I was doing, I almost didn't pull out of the trees in time to get a pull on because it was just so incredible. I had to convince myself in that moment, like, no, do it again, man. So, you know, if we're having this discussion, like, and I'm saying to you, like, bro, flow is where it's at, you know, and this is how to get it right? What's your counterpoint to, uh, to me? How do I get that flow experience without being, you know, balls deep in the trees and, you know, at the edge of where I should be on the pole zone? Well, that's a tricky question, but again, very personal. Maybe you need to be always on the edge to feel this hyper awareness, this flow state. I, I, I don't feel that maybe at one point, yes, you have to push and see. I, I, it's, it's a tricky question because maybe I need less, <laughs> less, uh, to push myself. I'm, I, I have a, a great experience just flying like an even 10, 15 years ago, nice flight, uh, above an amazing place with a bit of, proximity flying if you can call it like this and and then going and i'm 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 happy and one thing that everyone's missing uh that we're seeing on camera is how cedric's moving his hand which might uh tell the tale here you know his hand as he's describing this is moving super smooth is, is that an aspect of perhaps getting into the flow uh without having to be reckless yeah, what is the flow? If you resume it in one sentence, it's uh, being completely absorbed by what you do and letting go of everything, thinking without thinking. Um, I can have a flow state when I'm playing golf. <laughs> I can have a flow state when I have a conversation like this. You can have a flow state in any type of environment, in, in, a, in base jumping and especially wingsuit flying, you have no choice. It's flow or die. You have to be in a flow state. You have to be fully absorbed and you have to let go of everything. It's a must. In, in other sports, in everyday life, it's, it's not a must. You're not going to die if you're not in the flow. But I think you can find flow in a lot of different things. You have to let go of everything. Does that mean that you have to, in the moment that you're wingsuit base jumping, let go of uh, yourself, your survival instinct, everything? Yes, of, of well, you're so connected with yourself and your environment that you're not, and you're so well prepared and you're so focused that you're not really thinking what you have to do. It just, it's just happening. And if you look at musicians, if you, you mean everything we've been talking about, and that's the whole idea of my book and my keynotes, it's not really about base jumping. Everything is transferable to everything, to everyday life, to any athletic sport, to, um, to music, to arts, to everything. A flow state is something you can find in any type of environment. Uh, resilience is something you can create in any type of environment. Mental strength, emotional well-being, everything we've been talking about, pushing yourself, you can transfer this to any type of environment. You know, when you're talking about this right now, 
I'm thinking about a, a situation that I had um, on a jump where it was a very technical start, deep trench line that flattened out. And um, I wasn't carrying enough speed. I wasn't flying at the performance that I needed to make it safely out of there. And I remember, and this is me thinking like, maybe we shouldn't be over romanticizing flow all the time. I remember being in that line deep, looking over going like, I'm not sure I'm going to pull out of this trench. And at the end of this trench is some power lines and I, gee, I'm really not sure, but it felt very comfortable. It felt very flowy. It felt very calm and smooth. And this is, you know, I just barely fucking survived. And um, I'm just thinking that like, you know, yes, we like to talk about flow and it's this is amazing. And I think it also can lull us into a sense of complacency and uh, comfort in danger. What do you think about that? Well, that's the dark side of the flow, where you become complacent, where you think you're invincible, where you think you know everything. That's and that's again, that's yeah, kind of ego. Yeah, it it seems like the flow experience is equally accessible on both sides, life and death. Like, you know, there are people that are in the flow state, you know so uh wrapped up into the vibrancy of the moment that they're in you know just watching the the leaves blow on a tree uh that everything becomes more uh full and rich and then there are people like taz who we just interviewed who get into the flow right before they believe they're gonna die you know their body just naturally relaxes and calms down and they feel like they're in in total harmony with the moment yeah. I thought about Taz earlier when we were talking because uh, as a great example of someone who isn't uh, waiting for a near-death experience to live a full life. <laughs> I mean, I think we even asked her. She made zero changes. Yeah. You know, she impacted, tore her nose off, barely survives, picks up her stuff and then goes and completely lives the life that she's living. And uh, that's pretty rad. So how do you uh, differentiate when you are in the flow and on the light side versus the dark side. How do you tell if you're Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader? By, like I said before, by checking your ego. And again, uh, self-awareness, which makes you take better decisions. And also, I'm going to repeat it, but and I really believe in this, it's staying below your skills. It's you don't like to hear that. That's what I feel. But believe me, it's it's a it's an interesting tool to to stay between like like anxiety and boredom. In your book, um, to be more concrete, because I think it can sound a little bit abstract to someone who's listening to this about the self awareness. Uh, in your book, you lay it out as a step one through five about these steps to uh, self-awareness and um, moderate your opinions, take yourself less seriously, discover your patterns of thinking, recognize the problems that you create for yourself and be realistic. 
I think, I mean, these are all heads of paragraphs that you go on to discuss it more and more. I think this was the chapter for me where I was reading this and going like, ah, you know, like I know about all these things, but these are like, actually, these are the actual steps that I can, you know, bring back into my own life and go like, okay, I've got this challenge going on. Uh, how am I feeling about this? I'm going to just, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to these one through five and it really will like then turn on in, tune in to how, you know, how I'm feeling about it. Um, I, I know I'm not I'm risking getting a little woo woo here, but I think that it's important when we're talking about these, like, um, these kind of subjects that there are actual concrete steps that we can take to, to reach them. Yeah, for, yeah, of course there, there are steps and there is no, that's why I always tell people there's no secret formula to reach the flow, to, to create self-awareness, to be successful, to perform and, and, and so on. But there are techniques, there are certain steps that you can, and it's, again, it's a, it's, it's really a mind game and a mental workout. It's not because you read a book or you hear somebody explaining resilience that you become resilient. You know the path, you're not walking the path. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really something you have, I think, to work. You have to work on yourself on a daily basis. That's my, yes. And, and uh, I, I mean, it, for me, it comes down to know yourself. Be, be, be bold enough to go deep and ask yourself the right questions. So this has been a great conversation. I want to know before we go, what's next for you? What's, what's, what are the big projects? Where do you see yourself with jumping? When's the next jump? I don't know, honestly. Um, I have some projects. I have some ideas. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll have to uh, But I, yeah, I mean, obviously my priorities have changed with the years. Uh, I'm not training as much as I used to because um, I have a business to run. I have a family. Um, there is COVID, so it's but that's maybe an excuse. But it's it's not as easy to travel yeah, for most of us. Um, I don't like to travel as much as before. <laughs> to be very honest, if I could do everything around where I live, I would be super happy. That's what I'm trying to do, but the weather where I live is not amazing. <laughs> it's Belgium, it's flat, it's rainy, um, so I will have to travel. You know what I want? I think it's it's going to sound very, very simple, but I really want to continue to enjoy base jumping in a very simple way and for the essence of the sport and... Also, like what we're doing today is share my experience without, I don't want to sound like the old guy who is against progress and be careful and you're going to die if you do this. And we've said this before, I mean, without the young generation and without us 20 years ago, the sport wouldn't have evolved like it is today. So go for it. Uh, live your dreams like it's it's personal choose your path and 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 for me if i have to resume 
all my life and everything I've been doing, I've always embraced uncertainty. I started something without really knowing where I was going or where, where it would bring me. But I've always had, I've always followed my intuition, self-confidence. Uh, I knew I had some skills and it happened. And then I tried to make something out of it and I succeeded. I failed. I'm fine. For me, failure, it's, it's a learning process. I think as long as you, you're alive, you're not failing. Uh, so embrace uncertainty. If you look, if you go for certainty, you're giving up on your dreams. That's what I'm telling the younger generation. So if, like to come back on your question, Laurent, um, enjoying the sport, meeting nice people, uh, being what I really want is being way more in nature, uh, way more in the mountains and, and yeah, being way more outdoors. Um, I'm, and, and that's, and, and we'll, and I'll see maybe some things come, come, come on my way. Maybe not. I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't have a lot of expectations and believe me, not having a lot of expectations makes your life much lighter and much easier. Wow. That's uh, very well said. What I'm taking away from what you're closing on and really the whole interview here is that if people want to have a long and happy career in base jumping, that they should enjoy the process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, in any type of career, enjoy the process, dare to ask yourself the right question from time to time and and stay on your, stay aligned with your, your values. That's for me the 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 main thing, and also ask yourself what's my legacy? How do you want to be remembered as someone who was inspiring others, as someone who gave a positive image of my discipline, as someone who, yeah. But the main thing is to stay who you are and be aligned with my, and that's for me that has always been one of my main goal. I don't have many goals, but that was one of them is being who I am true to myself and fully aligned with my core values. Well, thank you very much for sharing who you are with us. I find it incredibly uh, illuminating to get to know somebody like you who has led the way uh, for people like me. And uh, certainly you present a very different front individually uh, than the sport uh, presents you as. So I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and share all this with us. Great pleasure. Pleasure is mine. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Cedric. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Laurent. You know where I live. You want to come explore some nature? Yes. Let's do it. I know. I'd love to share yeah. an exit point with yeah. you. Yeah. And before we jump off, let's just give one more plug to the book, which I highly recommend everybody read. Um, uh, where can we get this and what was it called again? Well, the title is, is Dare to Jump, but it's, it's, it's not a book about me. That's the first thing. It's a book about, uh, again, self-awareness, resilience, uh, mental strength, emotional intelligence, and, and the, having the right tools and skills to make the right choices. To, and and it's, it's dare to be yourself, dare to follow your path, 
there to speak up and don't follow always like social and educational rules we have which are not always leading you to who you are who you truly are that's i want to see happy people that's would be my main mission because if i have to resume everything i had the opportunity and i create the opportunity as well because i embraced uncertainty like i said but i had the opportunity to live my dream i still live my dream i still feel like i'm playing around and i'm enjoying every stage of everything i'm i'm doing and if if everyone can live like this well hell yeah you, i think the world would be a way better place to live <laughs> well uh this is a great concept and i'm glad that um it's it written down because uh most of the time these things just get lost to the ages uh, and is the book available amazon um anywhere else yes yeah it's in english um uh, i wrote it in, in english and and uh it's available on i think every amazon uh us uh europe uh, yeah okay sweet so get out there and grab that book and uh join us next time for another great episode of exit point Big shout out to Mark Stockwell for co-producing and editing this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider following us on Instagram at exitpoint.podcast and join the conversation. We want to hear your thoughts, criticisms, concerns, and even suggestions of who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. Thanks again and see you on the next one.